Hello, and welcome to French Tech News with Chris O'Brien and Ethan Pierce, a podcast and clubhouse series highlighting important stories in the world of France's startups, its entrepreneurs, investors, and ecosystem leaders. Please join us on Monday and Thursday evenings Paris time on Clubhouse and regularly during the week as we publish those events and other exclusive interviews to this podcast. On today's live Clubhouse podcast, join us for a conversation with Sista, an association founded two years ago to address the imbalance between male and female entrepreneurs in France. Sista's recent barometer report highlighted many of these inequalities. We'll discuss that report and see what lessons Sista has for other ecosystems. My name is Ethan Pierce. Welcome to French Tech News with Chris O'Brien and myself. Uh, this is our twice-weekly Clubhouse Roundup, uh, where we highlight important stories in English in the world of France's startups, its entrepreneurs, investors, and ecosystem leaders. Uh, so Chris is from VentureBeat. He's a reporter that's covered a lot of amazing stuff going on across Europe and internationally in the ecosystems. And with his French uh, tech journal newsletter to start covering French tech news in English so that the world hears about the amazing stuff going on here earlier than traditionally happens with the wonderful news coverage that we get in French from all the different startup outlets. Now we want to make sure that happens earlier through English. Clubhouse asks us to remind everyone, uh, our speakers, as well as anybody who would like to ask a question later on, that we are recording this room to be published as an episode of the podcast. They're completely okay with that. In fact, they encourage it, but everybody has to be on board. So if you want to speak, uh, just know that we are doing this as a podcast that will then come out at the French Tech News podcast. Speaking of the French Tech News podcast, head on over to Apple or Spotify, search for French Tech News, give that bad boy a subscribe. There you will find our past discussions where last week we had a fantasy football platform, Sorare, on their recent $50 million Series A. This week we had um, Vestiaire Collective that will be showing up tomorrow on their $260 million raise, making them France's 11th unicorn. Absolutely brilliant there. We've had all kinds of other interesting and great guests. You can find that on the podcast. Any of those links you need at frenchtechnews.club. You can bookmark that to find out what we're doing each Monday and Thursday in these clubhouse rooms at seven o'clock. We will have other interviews that come up as well uh, along the way. So that lets you keep notified. You can also sign up for the newsletter and receive you know, a text version of all these great stories. On to tonight's event, I would like to welcome our guests this evening, Tatiana Jama and Costanza Carissimo, as well as Deborah Loy uh, from Sista to discuss gender equality and entrepreneurship and all kinds of amazing things in this fantastic week celebrating women internationally and especially in the entrepreneurship space. Welcome all of my wonderful guests, as well as Chris, the co-host. I'll leave it over to Chris, and then we'll have each of you introduce yourselves a little bit and dive in. So Chris, take it away. Thanks, Ethan, as always, for that great intro and setup. And thank you, everyone, for all our speakers for being here on stage. I'm super excited because I've been hearing so much about Sista, particularly over the last couple of years, and, and I haven't had a chance yet to, to speak with you. So uh, I really appreciate you taking the time. And obviously, it's a super timely conversation, both with uh, International Women's Day this week, uh, but also your barometer that just came out, sort of measuring the startup ecosystem. I, I came to France from uh, Silicon Valley about six years ago, and you know, this is the, the gender imbalance is obviously a, a global one, I think we see across all tech ecosystems. So, uh, you know, unfortunately, France is not unique in that, but uh, I've been really impressed with the the impact that SISTA has had and, and the attention you brought to this. So um, just to kind of start, I'm wondering if each of you could just briefly kind of introduce yourself because beyond SISTA, you all are doing uh, something super interesting uh, for your day job, so to speak. Uh, Costanza, could we start with you and just give us a little bit of your profile? Yes, happy to. So first of all, thanks a lot for having me here. Uh, I'm a, at my day job, as you were saying, I'm a venture capital investor. Uh, I actually started out in an early stage venture capital fund in Berlin called Cherry Ventures. And uh, in 2017, joined my current fund, which is a global VC firm called Cathay Innovation. I spent a couple of years with them in San Francisco, and now I'm based in Paris with them. Great. And Tatiana? Uh, yes, thanks, Chris. I'm very happy to be here. So I'm an entrepreneur, tech entrepreneur, since uh, 
2008 and I founded three companies with um, the same partner since 12 years. Uh, we founded one um, daily deal company that we sold to a subsidiary of Amazon in 2011. We left in 2013. Then we did an um, image recognition app and today we are um, working on um, uh, artificial intelligence adapted to uh, uh, what we call conversational agent. And next to that, um, I uh, co-founded uh, Sista two years ago in order to try to address the funding gap. Okay, Tatiana, I'll come back to that, uh, the founding in a second, but Deborah, why don't you take a moment to introduce yourself? Yeah, hi everyone, thanks. Thanks a lot for having us. Uh, so actually, Sista is my day job. Uh, I've been a Sista CEO uh, for a little more than three months now. Uh, so that's uh, that's that's what I do all day, developing the, the organization. And uh, before that, I was a tech journalist. Uh, I've been working seven years in journalism and, and five years at a newspaper, a French newspaper called Les Echos, which is basically the French Financial Times. And that's that's where I discovered the the tech and the startup ecosystem, and I kind of fell in love with it. And uh, yeah, I had like this need to go from observation to action, and that's why I I joined a sister a few few weeks ago. Well, seven years ago, that was pretty good timing to get involved with the the tech e ecosystem here in France. I came six and a half years ago, and it's really exploded since then. So uh, I imagine it's been uh, quite an education for both of us in that sense. Tatiana, I want to come back to you. Uh, at, about that question of of founding Sista, uh, you know, obviously we have the context that there's this great imbalance here. There were other organizations that I'm somewhat aware of that were kind of taking different approaches to addressing this. What did you see happening, and what sort of uh, inspired you to create this particular organization? It's been, like I said, it was like I've been um, a woman entrepreneur in the tech industry for the past 12 years and um, the situation wasn't getting any better. And the questions that I was asked and the, um, and the problematic that were addressed were always uh, the same and we didn't really seem to have any kind of plan to um, make it better. Uh, I guess the, the main problem is that we didn't have any data on the subject. We knew that there was uh, very little uh, women entrepreneurs, very little women entrepreneurs who were backed by VC, but we absolutely didn't know how many women-led startups were financed, how many VCs um, women were in the, um, in the venture funds. And I guess that the difference between what was done and what we did is that we kind of um, uh, had a different approach saying that we needed to be very uh, data uh, focused. So that's why we uh, came up with the first numbers on, um, I guess, the, 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 the numbers of entrepreneurs and VC that, that were out there in France. And there was a huge difference between because before we didn't really know, um, we knew there was a problem, but we didn't know why. Uh, and I guess that was the, the big difference. So we started off um, uh, with the first Sista uh, BCG numbers, and we found out that women-led startup account for 2.6 of French startup that raised money within the past five years. Um, and I guess this number was the beginning of a, a, a real um, uh, of a real plan where we started off doing a lot of uh, lobbying in order to get VC firms to um, try to focus on a, a more feminine deal flow. So let's just talk about those numbers. Uh, you updated them in your most recent report, and my my sense of the takeaway was that there was some progress in terms of the number of um, the the mixity the 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 companies being started by with a co-founders that were men and women it was still a little flat for startups that were only founded by women and it seemed like there had been a little but but some progress with fundraising um, did you walk away feeling more optimistic uh, from this latest report or how were you feeling after kind of seeing the latest numbers so I guess that between 2019 and 2020 and with the pandemic, it wasn't a fantastic year to kind of um, make a, a big changes, but we still had a, a few positive um, 
uh, numbers. I guess one of them is that there's 21% of startups that have been founded by um, founders that were either women or um, teams that were mixed, so women and men, um, which was a little better than last year because last year it was uh, only 17%. So, I mean, that's positive. And of course, what we wish is that um, more and more uh, men and women team up to do companies. We don't want to have only women or only men companies, but the idea is, of course, to have more diverse uh, teams. Um, but overall, it's true that uh, 90% of uh, uh, the funds were, I mean, went to uh, only men uh, teams. So I guess that it's hard to say. At the same time, of course, uh, there's little progress. And, um, and on the other hand, we have, of course, uh, still a huge majority of um, the money that goes to only men's team. Compared to other ecosystems, do we have a sense of how the situation in France compares? Well, we basically, uh, uh, um, this data I'm taking from the Atomical State of European Tech Report that was published in December uh, last year, we are not the best, we are not the worst. <laughs> we basically are in the middle. But the thing is, and, and, and that's how we see that it's a very structural problem, uh, every ecosystem in Europe has a problem with that. Like, there is not one ecosystem that you can tell, oh my God, they're doing amazing. So we basically are around the same numbers. Some are doing a little better, some are doing a little worse, but no one is, like, doing great. Um, so it's a structural problem that we have to address and that we're addressing now in France uh, with Sistan that I hope someday we will be able to address to Europe because I think every country, every ecosystem of, of, of this continent needs, uh, needs to find the right tools uh, to, to address the issue. What's interesting also this year is that one of the, um, I guess, the remarks that, that we had from the VCs were that they would love to finance women, but there were just not enough teams um, with women uh, that had uh, ambitious plans. And I think that what's interesting is that we see that some of the funds have in their portfolio uh, nearly 90% of teams that are um, men and women, and some of them have zero. So that means that when you go get the deal flow and when you want to have uh, um, uh, a deal, I mean, a deal flow and uh, um, and invest in in teams that are not only men. You can do so because it's always the argument. I don't know if you heard about this argument, but uh, it, it's always like we would love to have women, but we can't find them, or there's not enough, or uh, the little that uh, are there, they're already financed. And I think it's yes. an interesting argument. Yeah, it's the pipeline problem. It's exactly. Some, it's some yeah, I think it also has to do with how attractive you are to women as a VC fund, you know, because I think a lot of people are not realizing that they're not asking the right questions, uh, they're not branding in the right way, uh, they're not like maybe showing the right values to the world, maybe they're, they're showing very masculine values and so on. So uh, I think that the way you, you brand your fund and the way you act with people that come to you and pitch their um, and pitch your startup um, really influences uh, the fact that women come to you or not. And so that's why we are, we are right now building tools for, for investors um, to try to help them to be more women-friendly uh, women because, as you said, Tatiana, I mean, there's, I mean, we cannot deny that there's a deal flow issue, but he, it's not as big as some investor uh, pretend it is. So, so yeah. And what we're proposing to them is not like rocket science, of course, typically in the U.S. So it's things that they already done. But what we did is that we rallied them around the pledge of practical objective on reaching more diverse portfolios. Um, and today we have more than 150 uh, investment actors that signed that pledge. So, so it's, I mean, it's a positive sign. Um, and uh, I guess the, the, the few things that we can say around this pledge is that uh, there, the, the VC funds uh, commit to count women, so counting women founders or co-founders, the amount raised, the equity, in order to understand where they are. And that's data after they will recuperate in order to, to, to as we said, um, try to uh, fill with data uh, this, kind of <laughs> this, this world that has a lot of, uh, I mean, not a lot of data on, on these issues. 
Um, they, they also uh, try to implement best practices to fight cognitive bias. So in their hiring process, um, to be more transparent on the, the project selection process, on the diversity of the team, teaching. Um, uh, we, we encourage them to have a, a gender-neutral language in all their communication. I mean, things that, that, that sound, of course, may be obvious <laughs> for most of you, but uh, it wasn't the case. They didn't realize that in the communication, typically, that they were having, they had a lot of, um, of not uh, gender-neutral language. Um, and, uh, and, and little by little, I think that the fact that all these actors um, understood that and, and started doing all these things made them realize that, um, that they had, of course, a certain number of bias and they could fight them to have a more diverse portfolio. When we're talking about the diversity of venture capitalists themselves in, in France, how does that compare? Uh, to other ecosystems, are we seeing growth in female female venture capitalists here in France? And maybe I'll put that to Cassandra. Yeah, I would say like we were actually like brainstorming about these numbers recently. And if we're looking at kind of like the environment, kind of like globally uh, and in Europe specifically, we see that kind of like definitely France is uh, like I, I would say like a little bit in the middle, right? So I would say I wouldn't say it's like drastically different from 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 any other uh, ecosystem. I would say some some ecosystems are a little bit more advanced, such as the UK, but I would say it's quite uniform across the base. Um, there's definitely like some initial interest and positive movement, but really it's really, really like a drop in the ocean. So I would say it's we're really, really at the beginning in terms of like bringing this conversation to the mainstream as well. Uh, I think what's really interesting is to see in some specific um, emerging kind of venture capital hubs. Like I think there are a few examples in Eastern Europe um, or the Nordics as well. Some of them are actually like still very kind of like dominated by kind of like I would say like a dominant group while others are like really starting out more diverse. And this is actually very interesting because we know that as ecosystems grow or like organizations in general, it's like harder and harder to change them over time. So we think that uh, especially with seeing kind of like venture capital popping up and like becoming more mean, like becoming like a bigger industry around around the world, we think it's really interesting to see how this new ecosystems are shaped, and then we think it's really key to act on them now. Just to follow that up, I was in Silicon Valley for 15 years, and I moved out there in 1999, and it was quite shocking how there were almost no female venture capitalists at all in the ecosystem, and even when people started to talk about the issue, you would see some of these firms just hiring their first their first woman as a partner just in the last decade. You know, so things have moved some, but it's amazing how slow things seem to move, even if everybody's talking about this issue. You know, we made reference before to the pledge that that you all uh, take to to venture capitalist design. Deborah, can you talk a little bit more about that and specifically what are you asking them to do and how do you approach them and have that conversation? So actually, I just wanted to jump in with with the data that uh, that we had from the the last edition of the of the barometer we we do with BCG. So uh, it shows that in in the investment teams of of VC funds in France, there are thirty five percent of uh, female. Uh, so it's pretty high. But from the funds who have uh, signed the pledge, we have 50% of those funds who don't have one single woman partner. So there's really a, a glass ceiling uh, for women in, in VC. We cannot say that women are not here because, I mean, 35% is not, is not bad. Uh, so there's definitely a pipeline and I really don't see why, um, I really don't see any reason why uh, they wouldn't get be partner in, in the next few years. Uh, so I think that's a, that's a very interesting point of, of, uh, of data. And that's something we're trying to do, like empower those, those women investors. Um, as for the way we approached uh, the, um, the funds to sign the pledge, I mean, maybe Tatiana, you would be the, the best one to, to talk about that because you were, you were the one doing it like two years ago. Yes, of course. You mean, how do we convince them to sign the pledge? Yes. Okay. I think... Yeah, I... Uh, 
Go ahead. Well, yeah, I'm just wondering, you know, when you knock on that door the first time and you say, you know, how do you approach them? Is there a strategy for going into that conversation to, to, you know, how you want to frame it? Do you just go in and sort of, uh, um, you know, try to shame them or praise them or how do you, how do you enter into that with them? So I guess the first thing uh, that really helped us was to gather public data. So the idea is that we started just going on Crunchbase, LinkedIn, on the VC firms. And um, with the BCG, we had all the uh, percentage per fund. So after that, we emailed the fund saying, hey, um, you have 0% of uh, women in your portfolio. How come? And I guess that the conversation started that way and they weren't even, I mean, I think that they were all very um, uh, confused around the numbers because they, um, it was the first time that uh, an organization came up with uh, those numbers and they were all at a point where they were raising, of course, more funds. And the problem was that they couldn't really um, say that they wouldn't they didn't want to kind of uh, um go uh they didn't want to um to work with us because they had to find a solution in order to have a more diverse portfolio so i think that uh the key thing to to kind of get their ear and start the conversation was to have the data of their fund not the data of on france but the data of their fund what we did after is that we of course didn't um do the, the name and shame around it. I don't think it would have been benefit. We just said that we uh, wanted to um, uh, construct a pledge and, and, with, and we, we teamed up with the Conseil National du Numérique, so the Digital Council, and they really helped us because it was a way also to have like kind of a public stamp on what we were doing. Um, so we, invent, we, we invited all the, the funds to join to try to think about best practice, uh, um, uh, gather information of, of course, what was doing, what the UK was doing, what the, um, what the US was doing, and try to get best practices around it. And little by little, uh, we uh, end up having this pledged. Uh, and since we had uh, constructed it together, they were kind of obliged to sign it. And little by little also, the fact that there were major actors uh, large funds that were communicating on the fact that they were going to sign uh, made the other ones, of course, want to sign as well. Because the, the thing that is interesting is that uh, I think five years ago it wasn't that much of a problem, but um, today uh, the LPs do not want to uh, give funds to VCs that are now going to engage themselves in, a, uh, I guess, a, a gender politics to try to make things better. And the entrepreneurs also don't want to have money from funds that are not committed to, um, to, to work on that. So they were kind of squished between the communication, the LPs and the entrepreneurs, uh, and they didn't really have a, a choice um, and they went uh, forward with it. And so after they've signed that pledge, how do you kind of hold them to it? Do you have, do you, is there regular conversations? Are there uh, meetings or advice, or are you helping them to plug into networks so that they're discovering startups uh, with a diverse range of founders, or is it, how do you engage with them throughout the year? Yeah, of course, maybe I'll let Deborah talk about what we're doing with them, but I think that also the fact of having once a year um, an update of, of the data and, and the fact that typically the LPs are following those numbers is very important to keep the pressure on. But maybe Deborah, you can, you can talk a little bit about the, the, the program that we have for the, the VC funds in order to help them diversify their portfolio. Yeah, yeah, sure. So yeah, absolutely data is key uh, to maintain the pressure. And uh, we are actually launching like right now, <laughs> this week, a program called Sista Investors Ally, which is dedicated to funds that wanna go further, uh, that have signed the pledge and that wanna, that wanna go further. Um, so what we have heard from those funds is we really want to get to that objective, which is financing 20% of women by 2025, uh, 25% of women by 2025, and, uh, but we don't know how to do it. 
So we are basically building this offer to help them, uh, to give them tools uh, to explain them how to do it. So we're going to have like a big part of it is going to be cognitive biases. So we're going to work with like top European researchers on cognitive biases to just try to explain to them in a very scientific and, and evidence-based um, point of view uh, what a, a cognitive bias is and why do they have it and why do everyone have it? Because the, the thing is, you can be uh, you can be a man investor, or you can be a woman investor, or you we all have the, the, the same biases, unfortunately. So that's basically a first step to like try to make them conscious about the way uh, they are they are talking to entrepreneurs and train them to talk in a in a in a non-biased way or at least less biased way. So that's going to be like a big part of the program. And then of course we're trying to answer the deal flow um, the deal flow issue. We're actually like on the other side. We're structuring a community of uh, of uh, sister entrepreneurs, uh, which are uh, basically female female founders that have a startup that, that is like around seed or around series A. And so we're going to give like uh, access to this deal flow to our sister investor allies and trying to to build bridges between them. Um, the feeling that I have is that there's a problem of communication between women entrepreneurs and, and VC and male uh, investors. Uh, they often tell me they like they don't have the same codes, they don't really understand each other. Uh, so that's basically what we're trying to do, both with entrepreneurs and investors, to try to bring them on the same uh, uh, on the same level and be able uh, to talk to each other without asking um, questions that could offend a women entrepreneur, and also for an entrepreneur to get there with the the right level of ambition. And also, I want to say sometimes even the right level of bullshit even if i don't think that leveling leveling down is a really good idea but you know how it goes like we're in an ecosystem where i mean you've been covering it for as long as i have been covering it so we we both know about that chris but uh, there is a certain level of, of bullshit especially in in pitching and i think women are a little more afraid of doing it and maybe it's good because maybe it will just build an healthier ecosystem and i don't want to encourage everyone to go uh, uh, to go more and more bullshit, but I think there's, even if it's not like bullshit on the the numbers or anything, there's a way to present thing when you go to a VC that that you have to know there are codes that you have to know, and I think it's important to put both of those um, those people on the on the same level. I don't know if I if I make sense, but I'm shocked to hear you say that, Deborah. I'm, I've never found any bullshit in the French tech ecosystem. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> um, Sorry, but you know, Sorry, I, guys. I mean. <laughs> No, no, no. I'm kidding. But I, I like this idea because it sounds like, you know, in developing this program, it seems potentially like if, if you can develop this and get some traction with it, uh, it could serve as a template for other for other ecosystems. Um, do you do you have a sense of that or or is it something you think has to be distinctly French? to deal with circumstances in France. Uh, sorry, so you ask if, if we could go and build that program on, on European level? Yeah, if the, temp, if the, the program you're talking about, uh, uh. about um, both connecting entrepreneurs and VCs, but also teaching them how to talk to each other, you know, to try to deal with some of those cognitive biases. Are, are there certain things that are specifically French about that, or do you see it as a template that you could uh, potentially export to other ecosystems? Honestly, I, I'm pretty sure we, we could export it. I mean, of course, there's going to be some cultural like specifications and, and differences, but, uh, and of course we will, if we, if we move to other countries, we will work with people on the ground to make sure that we address the issue uh, in the right way. But I mean, I've been traveling Europe quite, quite a lot uh, covering the startup ecosystems and I feel like, I mean, I mean, I don't know what you you think about that, but I feel like the, the startup codes are basically the same everywhere because they're the Silicon Valley codes, right? And we imported them. So I think there are less cultural differences between countries in the startup ecosystem than there could be in other industries. So I'm pretty sure we could export it. Uh, and, and obviously that's, uh, that's the ambition at some point. I am curious, just from my perspective, um, so I spent a lot of time across Europe at, at different conferences the past couple of years, as well as a lot of time in Southeast Asia. And it seems to me like a tremendous amount of the ecosystem leaders are women. Is there a reason why we see, if not an over-representation, a, 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 a good equal representation of ecosystem leaders? And I, I mean, people like, for example, Kat with the French Tech or 
or Roxanne with, with, with Station F, but, but in the countries across Europe seen a very similar thing. Um, but we don't see that same access to the rest of the ecosystem, both potentially as as many entrepreneurs and founders, um, but also on the VC side. So you talked about some of those points, but I'm just, I'm curious why I meet so many amazing and strong women and the ecosystem side as leadership, but we seem to have these other problems with access getting into the VC side or, or scaling businesses as founders. Is that ring a bell with anything or is that just my perspective of, of what I've seen? Yeah, I actually never noticed that, but now that you mention it, it doesn't make sense. I have no idea. Constanza, do you, do you have any idea or Tatiana, do you have any idea what that would, why that would be? Not not sure. I mean, I understand what you mean because we have a few top women that are uh, um, very influent in the European tech system. Uh, and they're often journalists or, or tech speaker. And it's true that we have very few uh, women entrepreneurs who um, kind of uh, uh, have an outreach uh, in Europe or uh, an international uh, um, point of view. And at, at the same time, I find that a lot of the French uh, tech entrepreneurs sold very early their company um, to uh, uh, bigger companies. If, if, if typically I take the example of, uh, of Sister's co-founder, so Céline Lazard, who founded Litchi, she sold uh, to a French bank, um, and even if she was in a European scale, she, she um, maybe uh, didn't. I mean, the first example that we have today is Vestiaire Collective, who of course uh, uh, has an international scale. But most of the uh, French-led startup by women are uh, in a very um, French uh, um, kind of market. If, if I'm not wrong, very few. Um, went uh, to the U.S. or, or builded, I guess, uh, uh, giant companies. Most of them exited uh, between 50 and 350 million. I mean, we have a few. We have, of course, 10, 15 very uh, uh, successful women that sold their company uh, in the past 10 years, but most of them uh, were below uh, 500 million, and I guess it's the uh, typical um, amount where you're uh, less in the international radar. Maybe it, it speaks to gifts, but also a specific maybe uh, objective of wanting to build the ecosystem, which potentially uh, wanting to create so much good in the ecosystem, which potentially has drawn some of those those female leadership figures towards building the ecosystem itself. Uh, or maybe because it was hard to, it was just because of the entire discussion we're having, it's hard to to, to get in the front door of funds or some of these organizations. So the ecosystem was accessible. But I, I always find that very interesting that, that there are so, such strong leadership examples in those cases. So I appreciate your inputs on that. But, but I, I, it's true that it, and I totally agree also because they um, traditionally women have, have not a hard time. I mean, uh, of course, uh, uh, being like very famous journalists or, or uh, construction um, international ecosystem around a tech conference, for example. But I think the problem that we have, of course, is that the access to uh, VC money is very hard for a women entrepreneur. Um, and since the, the amount of raising is low, uh, of course, the perspective in an international point of view is low also. So I guess that now that more women are getting financed, they're going to be more European, more international, and maybe we'll have uh, more um, kind of... Uh, a women-led startup that are from France that uh, have a, a shine internationally. Yeah, no, I think it's always the the the, the never-ending question of like nature versus nurture, right? Is it like because women uh, tend to have like um, a very high focus on relationships and on like uh, connecting people or something like that, or is it part of the fact that maybe women get pushed into those type of roles because? Um, I mean, I can think of a couple of examples in my career in which I was uh, naturally assigned certain tasks or pushed towards tasks that are a little bit more like nurturing and so on. But I, I do agree that that's definitely something that, that pops to mind. You, um, you said it in a perfect way that I was trying to diplomatically get to. And so uh, you've addressed it exactly what I was trying to aim at there. And that's um, but also, Tatiana, to your point, I, I also think that you guys are the the answer to this in the sense that you're building these systems in place that will encourage this to evolve. So I think we also have to look at it from that perspective of the cycle of, of just seeing that um, improve. But I think that's also why it's so important that 
when when we were looking at the numbers that Deborah was mentioning, 36 of investors are female, but then when we're looking at kind of like partners, the numbers are much lower. Uh, I think that also speaks to the fact of how important it is to um, help to connect those women with the right resources and help them advance in their career, uh, which is also something that we work a lot on with System. Fantastic. Thank you. So for anyone joining us on stage with a question, I will remind you with the Clubhouse disclaimer that by coming up on stage, you're accepting that we are recording this room for the upcoming podcast episode. And to that point, our regular guest and commentator who always has wonderful things to ask. So glad to see you, Igor, and welcome to the stage. Oh my God, Etan, that's a lot of pressure you're putting on me suddenly. Thanks a lot for this kind introduction and uh, thanks for this great discussion. Yeah, I, I mean, I do have an observation uh, I hope you find it interesting is that at university, we were taught that microfinance institutions in uh, third world countries were focusing on women. So uh, uh, people who have no access to traditional uh, banking institutions, uh, usually microfinance institutions preferred uh, making loans to, to women rather than men when they could choose in a household because they uh, considered and, and it was actually proven that women made better choices with that money. So I'm very uh, surprised that this didn't translate to, um, let's say, a VC in, uh, in Western countries, because I don't see any difference, actually. Uh, but maybe uh, one, one element which, which might explain this, uh, at least for, from my perspective, I'm, I'm, I'm about to be 30. Uh, very few of my uh, lady university friends wanted to become an entrepreneur. So um, is, is it not also uh, a problem that um, that it's not something which which women traditionally uh, want to be? Uh, because maybe I mean I don't know what the explanation could be, but is it not a cultural uh, lack of of, of uh, wanting to become an entrepreneur, which actually plays a part in in this in this gap? You know, uh, I actually I actually think there's like a big representation issue with Bill Gates, Mark Zuckerberg and all of the like big stars of Trek all being men. So I think it's a little bit more difficult to project yourself when, you, when you're like a, a, a girl teenager uh, to, to this ecosystem. And I also think that the ecosystem has been like very unwelcoming for women. Um, so you know that computers have been marketed when they arrived in, in homes, they've been marketed for men. Men have been handling it, and there's been these like geek culture constructed around, which was absolutely not attractive to women. And I mean, a lot of women that came into uh, this field like had very bad experiences. For example, these VCs and um, and people like that. So um, I think it's a it's a really structural problem. So yeah, probably there are not enough uh, teenage girls even today projecting themselves into being an entrepreneur, and it's a problem of representation. But it's there. There also are women getting into that ecosystem and, and uh, not feeling well, not feeling welcome, not feeling safe even. So I think you have to address both ways. And that's basically what we're working on, um, on um, building a healthier ecosystem for women and also uh, putting women in the light so that uh, younger girls and, and women can project themselves into, into becoming an entrepreneur. To layer a, an, another kind of history or story on that, on what Igor is saying as well, that you know, part of the discussion that's been a lot around trying to get female, more female developers and engineers, uh, which can translate into more female tech entrepreneurs, is also maybe the fact that, you know, when when little girls are interested in things at school and they start to be interested in math or science, they're told that that's for little boys. And, and then so they don't get interested or passionate about these subjects when they're young. And so they don't they don't gain those skills until maybe later when they, they come back into that idea. Is that something that you see being relevant to this journey that that potentially we're not encouraging the things that create female engineers and developers and so that also carries over into female tech entrepreneur founders is that something that that rings true in your studies and your statistics i mean that's definitely part of the problem and that's definitely something we need to work on but you know i don't think you need to be a developer today to be an entrepreneur uh first thing you can actually hire a developer <laughs> if you need it and uh, and there are more and more no code like tools that help you build startups uh, without need to have the, the the tech skills. So, so so I don't think that's the only reason, honestly. But of course, that's a problem that we need to work on because we need to have more women engineers, like for entrepreneurship and, and just in, in general. I I think maybe I I don't know if we tell little girls that math are for boys. I think it's more that if you're bad at math at some point in your life when you're a little girl, 
we will tell you that's normal, that's because you're a girl, and so you will kind of give up, you know, you will not fight for it. Uh, that's what I feel I've been through. I hated math until I studied, studied economics and then I began to like it again because it was concrete, you know. But I really had this image of I'm bad at math, it's normal because I'm a girl and I don't really have to fight for it. Whereas I couldn't be bad at, for example, French because, I, you know, I had to be excellent at French because I was a girl. So, yeah. And I appreciate the nuance. No, that's great, Deborah. Thank you. I appreciate that. Costanza, Tatiana, do you, any, any um, uh, answers to maybe what Igor has posed or this idea? Yes, I mean, it, it, it's totally um, a true ego, and especially in France, what we call auto-entrepreneur. So it's a, uh, like a, a company, but <laughs> with only one person. Um, the, the women account for 40% of the auto-entrepreneur in France, so, so that's huge. And it's true that they have a tendency to kind of um, uh, build companies, but in a more... Uh, um, artisanal way. I, I think that, uh, of course, that there's a problem in education, there's a problem in the access to information to become an engineer, to become an entrepreneur, but what, what we're addressing at SISTA is that even when you get there, you still have 30% chances uh, less to raise funds um, than when you're a man. A and that's what we're trying to fight, is saying that, of course, there's a lot uh, to be done, uh, in order to, to, to have a gender equality in this field. But what we're trying to focus on is when you get there, that the education does their work, then the, um, th that you want to become an entrepreneur, you uh, get access to the same type of uh, finance. Because we know that even if it wasn't the case 10 years ago, you could, of course, uh, found a company and um, not need to have uh, that much funds. It's impossible today. In the innovation industry, uh, if you want to, um, uh, have a company that has an impact in uh, in technology and innovation, you kind of are obliged to raise funds. And that's what we're trying to do, help them raise funds in order to have, um, of course, a lot of more role model uh, women that are tech entrepreneurs. Yeah, that definitely addresses your earlier point that we're missing those great role models, like you mentioned, all the, all the male role models of the Jeff Bezos, the Bill Gates, the Steve Jobs, and those kind of things. So the more capital that's accessible for female entrepreneurs to leverage and turn into great companies, then the more role models we have of those successful entrepreneurs who then go back into the ecosystem and, and, and that visibility has created another wave. And so I think you're right that some of these things that we can identify around female um, uh, developers and engineers or, or those kind of things will also potentially autocorrect if we're able to put more role models at, at a higher level in front of them. Um, yes, thank you, Tatiana. Totally. Thank you. And I think that, of course, I mean, I started off, I, I think I used to be a lawyer and I started off because my first email was Caramel and it was founded by women. And when I, I found out that Caramel was founded by women, I'm like, wow, incredible. I could also maybe do it. So I, I strongly believe that, of course, you cannot be what you can't see. And we need to put out there a maximum of women entrepreneurs to um, kind of lead the path. Uh, and I think that, uh, that things are changing because we see more and more, uh, um, I mean, women entrepreneurs and also the, the media, especially the tech media, uh, are, are kind of uh, being uh, uh, careful to, to put uh, more and more uh, female uh, on their papers. So that it's a great news. Thank you, Tatiana. Thank you, Deborah. Thank you, Igor. Thanks. I'll, I'll jump in with one last area maybe to touch on here, uh, and part of this is my own bias as an American coming to France. Uh, I found it challenging to sort of understand the differences in gender relations in France compared to my experience in the US. You know, there seems like there's so many great things here when I look at politics, for instance, you know, rules around uh, quality and party representation. Uh, earlier this week, uh, the government released its annual report now on uh, representation at, at companies and on boards. And, you know, I see a lot of data saying that, especially at the board level, just across all sectors of the economy, that there seems to be more progress here in France than, uh, than, than some other countries. Uh, and at the same time, there are things that I find still sort of baffling at the way people casually talk about the roles of women uh, do things like uh, I, I've had, I don't know how many friends uh, go for jobs and when they're being interviewed to be hired, they'll say, well, what about your kids? Do you really want to have time for your kids if you take this position? So 
I'm just wondering structurally, are there things about France, either in the education system or the culture that also play a role in this? Or is it my imagination as an American that there there really is a difference? As I've only lived in France for two years, I will let this to the French French, French to answer. <laughs> I've been living in France only for six years because I, I actually am from Switzerland. But no, I mean, it's a tough question. I, I don't know. I think um, the perspective I have of America, I only lived in America for three months in New York. So, I mean, I don't really have a big experience, but I feel like there you guys are, are are way more careful about what you say because also maybe you're a little bit more scared of what's going to happen to you if you say or do some stuff. I remember when I was 16, I, I began working at McDonald's in my small um, town in Switzerland to, to pay for my studies. And um, I remember all the, the rules we had to to read about like sexual harassments and stuff like that. And it was very new to me because I lived in this like very lost a uh, place in the Alps of Switzerland and you know I never no no one had ever talked to me about sexual harassment at, at work or stuff like that and working for an American company um I discovered that so I think the there is a framework like in America that that exists and that exists less in France that that is starting to exist more and more um people are yeah maybe only now starting to realize that you cannot do some stuff at work that you cannot talk to your colleague looking at her boobs or something like that uh which uh maybe has been an excuse of the Mediterranean side i don't know um uh, but of course there are cultural differences um and i think a lot of people here are very scared to to get to the american point where because they're feeling that that would um that would cut some cut off some of their freedom um so yeah i mean that, that's just a few of my thoughts about that it's a very big topic i think we could we could talk about it for hours but um and i think that there's an interesting data in the last um survey that we did with the bcg is that the question the different question um that you ask to a female or a man entrepreneur uh, ends up in less investment for the women entrepreneur because we're going to ch the VCs are going to challenge with questions more their technical background, and, and so I, I think there's two kind of questions in your question. There's of course the cultural side, and we see it a lot with the media. Typically, the media would always ask the balance between professional life and personal life for women. They won't do so for men. Um, or they were, of course, asked if they have kids or, or tend to have uh, questions around the personal life that they wouldn't have uh, for men. And during the, 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 road, um, the road show and the, the, the raising process, you also have questions that are different between uh, the teams that led to different type of amounts. And that's proved um, uh, in the, the BCG survey that we did, but also in the U.S. I think it's Wharton that did a a survey around that. And I find it very interesting because it depends on, uh, at the end, who interviews you. If you have a certain number of bias, you ask the wrong questions, you're not going to be uh, investing or you're not going to be financed. And if you have someone that's going to kind of have the same um, uh, questions, you might, as, uh, you might uh, have the same amount. And that's why one of our recommendations in the CISTA pledge is to, of course, ask standardized questions and not uh, gender-oriented questions. And I think the number is 2.5, that the different question uh, asked leads to a, a difference of 2.5 in the amount raised. Is this 2.5x? Yes, sorry. <laughs> Thanks, Constance. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting. I, you know, it's something that, uh, well, to, to Deborah's point, I think we could do a whole three-hour clubhouse on uh, America's uh, influence for better or for worse on France at the moment uh, and the various debates around that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it's, it, it's, it's interesting to hear you say that, but I guess also not entirely surprising that those little biases can really add up uh, over time when they're repeated again and again in those situations. I think there's also some elements that make it the effect kind of compoundedly bigger in the VC industry, which is related to the size of the teams. So like VC teams are very small, so they typically hire 
few people at a time. So they wouldn't have like a typical uh, structured HR process. And usually having a structured HR process is actually a good way to um, kind of like to reduce bias in the, in the, in the process. When you have like something that is very small, then you tap into your network, you tap into people you like, that you meet at an event and you think they could be a good person to work with me. And of course, those type of biases have a stronger effect. And I think the other effect is the fact that you have to make, as an investor, you have to make uh, a lot of very fast decisions and you have to make those decisions on limited information and on a big volume. And so basically what you're using is you're using signaling. So you're looking at the way the email was written, the, the formatting of the pitch deck, all of these elements that seem quite um, menial, but they actually have an effect in your decision because of the fact that you have to take all of those decisions in a day and you have to pass on all of these companies. And I think the VC industry specifically for these reasons has um, is set up in such a way that those small biases have a disproportionate effect. Yeah, it's interesting. Thank you for that, Costanza. So this has been a fantastic uh, discussion. I'm so glad that we were able to have the three of you on and, and to chat about this subject. Next Monday, we are having a chat with French Tech uh, U.S. founders and investors and a bunch of special guests to discuss the Miami ecosystem and the exodus from San Francisco to more regional ecosystems, especially how that might interest expat founders, but also that trend is happening across Europe as well, and, and that should be a pretty good discussion. So please do, if you want to follow that, you can uh, follow the club by clicking on the little greenhouse at the top and, and following the French Tech News Club. Uh, you can go to frenchtechnews.club and you'll see the upcoming events there as well. Chris's French Tech Journal newsletter can be signed up for there. And most importantly, if you have friends that would be interested in tonight's chat, uh, this discussion will be on the podcast in a few days. So be sure to head over to Apple or Spotify, search for French Tech News and give that a subscribe. It has been wonderful to have the three of you here tonight. Thank you, Tatiana, Costanza and Deborah. Uh, thank you for everything that you're doing and 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 trying to make happen uh, through your sheer force and, and hard work, and we appreciate that greatly. I understand the irony of having two men invite the three of you onto an event in, um, <laughs> in order to speak, and and incredibly uh, impressed and 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 motivated by the hard work that you're putting into this subject. Thank you, Chris, as well, and thank you everyone for joining us this evening. Thank you. Thanks thank for you so much us. for having us. Take care. Thank Thanks you so everyone. much. Pleasure. Thank you. Want more news and stories from France's incredible innovation ecosystem and its entrepreneurs? Subscribe to the French Tech News with Chris and Ethan on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and switch on notifications to be informed of new episodes as soon as they are released. You can connect with Chris and me on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Clubhouse. I am at Ethan Pierce, that's E-T-H-A-N-P-I-E-R-S-E, and Chris O'Brien is at O'Brien, O-B-R-I-E-N. Let us know if there are guests that you would like to see on the interview podcast or Clubhouse, as well as any stories that we should take a look at. As always, thank you for listening and see you next time.